Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. I am Britton Boyd, one of your co-hosts. I am also at Archaic Honey on Instagram. And today we are going to be talking about some foundational witchcraft practices. And hello to all of you. I am here as well. My name is Jay Allen Cross, as you've probably learned by now. And I am at Oregon Wood Witch on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow us at Invoking Witchcraft on Instagram as well to stay up to date with all the things that are happening on the podcast. Yeah, come and join us over there. So, Jay, how are you today? I am doing all right. You know, we are surviving the pandemic. It is winter now, which is it's all right. You know, you're getting snow over there. We're getting fog over here and we're all just trying to do our best at the moment. Um, today has been particularly interesting because I am, of course, as always fighting with somebody in a Facebook witch group because I just need to get out of Facebook witch groups. <laughs> they are testing me as well as the Lord is testing me. Um, so today's issue that we're working with in the Facebook group is the idea of cultural appropriation and someone has rolled up into the group and I'm telling the story simply because it's relevant. I'm not going to name names. Um, someone has rolled up into the group and has declared that it is okay for them to teach about things like indigenous Mexican culture, even though they are a white person who is not a part of that community because they are a child of the world. And Thank this, you know. Yeah, big no-no. Do not, don't be this guy. Um, It's something that we see a lot in the community these days, which is why I'm kind of bringing it up now. This idea that we somehow can meditate enough or own enough crystals that we transcend white privilege and we transcend racism and therefore don't have to think about it anymore or participate in it anymore. And what's funny is it kind of goes full circle. You know, these people think that they've transcended out of this where it's no longer part of their realm and then turn around and immediately commit acts that then harm these communities that they pretend to be allies to. Um, And especially when it comes to teaching about other people's cultures, that's a really, uh, that's a really difficult topic and something that we run into a lot in the witchcraft community is this idea that we can, you know, be from outside of a culture. Let's say, you know, we can be white Americans and that we can then adopt hoodoo and then teach people about it. Or we can then adopt, you know, brujeria or indigenous magic or cultures or things like that and then teach people about it. And that's something that's been going on for a very long time now. And in fact, most of our books that are written on these subjects are by people who are not part of the community. So most of our hoodoo books are written by people who are not African-American. Basically, until this last year, all of our brujeria and Mexican folk magic books, the few ones that were out there were all written by white people who are not part of the Mexican community. So... When we do this, what happens is we end up teaching things that are not canon or or not culturally correct. So there's a lot of issues. For instance, things like voodoo dolls. People don't realize that the dolls that people were pounding nails into and things like that were not to cause other people harm. Each one of those nails was a promise to a spirit. It had nothing to do with harming somebody else. But that's what it looks like. People look at it for about 10 seconds, decide they know what it's about, and then teach other people about it. And this Mm -hmm. is a problem. So if you are not part of a community or a culture, I'm not going to tell you that you cannot participate in their magic because I do believe that you can if you follow their traditions the way they're meant to be followed. However, when it comes to teaching, please leave that to people who are of the community because... It's really unfortunate when that happens because not only does it erase culture by bringing in misinformation, it also takes up spaces. These are books that should be written by people in those communities. These are classes that should be taught by people from those communities. So when you do this, you're taking up space and it can be harmful. Anyway, that has been my morning. I am stepping down off my soapbox, but just please remember to just handle these things carefully. You know, we are people who have been marginalized, been colonized, 
all of these things. So just handle this stuff delicately. And just don't do it. Just, and just don't, don't do it. Don't be a dick. It's really simple and it's not very complicated. Just don't appropriate. And you can't meditate away racism or meditate enough to become, you know, above all of this stuff, or you can't buy enough crystals that get rid of your, your privilege. It's, that's just not how it works. <laughs> no, it's not how it works. It is deep, lifelong, long-term work that you have to do to undo internalized racism. That's interesting too, because you're right. It is, it is work. And this, oh, this, okay. So that's interesting because this is something we're seeing in spirituality too. This idea that we can just simply skip over the uncomfortable things and go straight from, you know, Wicca one day to lighting candles to the Orisha uh, two days later, because you've just felt like it. I think you know? they call that spiritual bypassing. Yes. Yes. I do believe that is mm. a thing for sure. And it's, and it's pretty much the same idea here with this. Like, oh, I've just transcended enough that I can be racist, but act like I'm not. <laughs> oh my you know, gosh. It's, because it's, people are just avoiding work. Yeah, it's hard, uncomfortable work. Uh, if you're a white person, absolutely. But it's also our work that we have to do in face. So get uncomfortable. Yeah, get uncomfortable. Witchcraft is about being uncomfortable, challenging yourself, um, and doing work. If if everything around you in your practice is super easy, I'm going to want you to look at that and see where you can actually challenge yourself, because that's a big part of this, whether it's racism or witchcraft. For sure. Yes, witchcraft is work. It's a craft. It's something that you have to hone in on. And I wouldn't say... Maybe you could strive for perfection, but I don't think perfection's the goal necessarily. And if you do strive for perfection, I have patience with yourself because that sounds like a recipe for just a bunch of self-hatred if you're trying to be perfect at witchcraft. And there is so much to it that that that's a big burden to put on yourself to be perfect with witchcraft. Absolutely. Because, it, yeah, there's perfection and the imperfection, I think. And that's kind of what we're after. I hope that that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something, too, that we run into in a few different spiritual things. Like, I remember one day, because I, I do, I'm very fascinated by feng shui. So I, I read a lot of stuff about it. And somebody wrote, I think it was in one of Lillian Tu's books, where she said, there is a such thing as having your feng shui be too good. She's like, because once it is, once you have perfect feng shui, then there's no room to go up. It can only get worse from there. She's like, so you oh, want wow. your feng shui to be not totally perfect because then we can still go better. Like good things can still come from that. But if it's perfect, then all you can do is go downhill. Fascinating. I really love that perspective. Right. And that, that really helped me calm down about, honestly, a lot of things in my life. But, <laughs> but the feng shui, too, because feng shui is hard. It's really difficult. It is. Yeah, I don't know too much about it. I do try to orient the things in my house in such a pattern or energetic way, mm -hmm. you know, that is like beneficial to me or just a general vibe in my house. I like to see my house as a living organism. Totally. Of like witchcraft and yeah. spirit and all of that. Yeah. Folks don't realize that their homes, you know, develop over time a spirit of their own. And so caring for your home and talking with your home and treating it like it's an entity, not only is, you know, comforting in a way, but also homes that are treated fairly and spoken to like they're a member of the family as well are less susceptible to hauntings. They will help prevent curses that are thrown at you. Like your home is an active participant in your work. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, don't take for granted the thing that is sheltering you from like really cold elements. Like right now, for example, it's, it's below freezing. And even though there are some quirks about my house that I find frustrating, I never speak ill on my home. I always am like petting the well, I'm not always petting the walls. <laughs> but when I'm like frustrated with my living situation, sometimes I'm like, thank you for being here with me. Thank you for sheltering me. And I just pet my wall a little bit. You're here for me. You're holding it together. 
Exactly. Just thank you, house. Yeah, no, it's really important that we just express that gratitude and really just understand that your home is doing so much for you, even if you're living in a place where you don't like, you know, it's sheltering you from rain and, you know, snow and, you know, freaking COVID at this point. So take a moment and just be very happy about your home, even if you hate it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of homes and foundations, <clears throat> today we are going to be talking about and exploring foundational skills that are important to both Jay and I. Absolutely. And why we do them and why they are important. Mm, yeah. I feel like a lot of times people learn the foundational skills and then almost immediately sweep them under the rug because mm-hmm. they're so simple and they're, they don't take, you know, long rituals. They don't take fancy candles. They really just take you and your mind a lot of the time. And people don't like to go into their minds. And I mean, especially in 2020 being inside your own head is, is a hard place. I understand, Ooh. but you know, taking that time to really honor and embrace foundational skills will only make you a better witch. Absolutely. And teaching foundational skills is kind of my specialty. I like to teach daily witchcraft practices. That's one of the things that I enjoy doing. And I think that it's, in my opinion, this is just my own humble opinion, the foundational skills and daily practices are to me the core of witchcraft. Yes. We don't want to create dichotomies, in my opinion, between the magical and the mundane. To me, there is magic in the mundane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's through these foundational skills that we begin to actually live a magical life. Apart from just like, oh, well, I'm only a witch on Tuesday nights when I cast a spell versus I am a witch full time. I embody being a witch in daily life and you know along with casting spells being able to do things like have a conversation with a bush in your yard or you know be able to sense when danger is coming you know these things that are super important or set spiritual boundaries for yourself because if we don't have these foundational skills and then we go into some of the more technical stuff we can be very vulnerable because you know if we don't have like our intuition in check then we are quite literally flying blind in this work. And then also too, we have people all the time, you know, again, I need to get out of these Facebook witch groups. You know, we have people all the time posting things like I need a recipe for this, or how do you make this? Or how do you do that? And it's like, well, if you knew the foundational skills, those things would easily just fall into place. So people who are having trouble, they're like, well, I can't figure out a recipe for this. It's like, well, then you need to take a step back and you need to get to know your plant spirits. And once you do know your plant spirits, then the recipe will just write itself. They'll tell you what they want to have you put together. Mm -hmm. And spirit does that as well. Recently, Mm -hmm. I was working with a beaver skull. I randomly found a beaver skull when I was uh, taking a walk out in the sagebrush um, in this area where folks seem to just dump their dead animals. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of an animal graveyard. (laughs) And I found a really well intact beaver skull and I was sitting with it or with them rather, and doing some deep listening. And they gave me their story about how they died. They were trapped. And then they also gave me instructions on what they would like as an offering. And then simultaneously, I was given instruction on herbs to use to further connect with them. Mm -hmm. And the way through to that is through daily practice or in engaging Mm -hmm. with your intuition. If you're not going to like swim into the waters of your own intuition and learn how to differentiate between like trauma and like your mind chatter and your true intuition and then also spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also bring up something good. So my, my initial knee jerk reaction was to ask you, Ooh, what herbs, but Here's the thing. So then this brings us up to something that we call UPG, otherwise known as unverified personal gnosis, which is uh, which can be a beautiful thing. And here's how this works. So Britain received this message from this beaver that she found personally herself. And this beaver told her which herbs it wants her to connect with it. Now, does that mean that 
all beavers and all people will connect this way through these specific plants. No, but she has formed a personal connection through it. So remember, when you do receive this gnosis, it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's sacred. But also people then make the mistake of then running around and telling everybody that it's gospel because that's, you know, your specific um, beautiful connection with this, with this beaver creature. So it's kind of like me, like if I was to meet somebody and I'd be like, the way to connect with me is by talking with me about golden girls, right? And then they're like, okay, all people love to talk about golden girls, right? That's maybe not true. But for that particular spirit, that's such a beautiful connection. That particular beaver wants you to use these specific plants, which mm-hmm. is your perfect key for that. And that's something only for you. And I love that. Yeah, it's our own little personal relationship with each other. And I'm so glad that you brought up UPGs or unverified personal gnosis. And not like if, if it's personal, it's personal. There can be threads that we connect, I think where you start to see patterns with other folks' gnosis. I see that a lot with like um, deity work where you start to see patterns. It's like folks who work with Hecate, they tend to dream of keys or snakes or mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And that makes sense. But yeah, the personal aspect of it, but kind of going back to what we were talking about and foundational skills is like when you're honing and practicing and understanding your intuition, you're then able to connect with these forces and spirits in a much easier way. It becomes mm-hmm. more, more of an open channel for you. And that takes work and it takes practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is also where we can see the root of this idea that everyone's craft is personal. And, and that's true because of these instances in which we're having communications with spirit and spirit has asked certain things of us that they may not ask of other people. But where I think people get off the track is when they hear that like, oh, everyone's craft is different. They don't understand that we mean in that way, that spirit will contact us in different ways or that we will have to work with our own tools in our specific ways as mandated by spirit. What they hear instead is I can do whatever I want and make stuff up. And that's that's not the same thing, right? People, people sometimes confuse a sort of make-believe idea with um, messages from spirit and they don't realize that there's a major difference between that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. So what, out of curiosity, Jay, can I ask you what your number one foundational skill, what you think is like most important for say a beginner witch? Yes, I think the first thing that anyone needs to learn is grounding. And I don't mean the Instagram grounding because I come across people who claim to be witches all the time and I bring up grounding and they're like, oh yeah, I like to walk around barefoot too. And I'm like, that's not at all what I'm talking about. Like that can be a grounding experience, but being able to actually connect and then tap into the energy of the earth at will is very different. And then to anchor yourself into the spirit of the earth is different than just, oh, I went outside today. Right. Right. Or I hugged a tree. tree oh, God, yeah. Ground. Also, always ask a tree if they would like to be hugged. Get consent, people. <laughs> consent is sexy, even when it comes to trees. So uh, I agree with that. And that's something that we hear a lot. And again, uh, hugging a tree can be a very grounding experience, but that's not what we are talking about when we say grounding. Mm-hmm. When we say grounding, we are anchoring ourselves into the energy of the earth. And this is important for many reasons. Not only does it give us kind of a power source to draw from so that we're not completely just draining ourselves, but also it gives us stability. A lot of times when we're doing intuitive work or magical work, you can really be kind of pushed around by the energy. And if you are not grounded, then you can really feel out of control. Um, You can develop some unfortunate mental side effects, all kinds of things. So without grounding, the rest of it doesn't have a platform to stand on, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Can I ask, what does your grounding practice look like? In short, I know like my personal grounding and centering practice, it takes only a moment to do. But when I talk about it, it like takes forever to explain. So I'm just <laughs> right. very curious. <laughs> Um, So I still use the original method I was taught. I I play around with a few different ways. And there are more than one way to do this, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But the way that I tend to do it is I like to have my feet flat on the floor. And I was always taught to visualize roots growing out of the bottom of my feet and through my lower legs and really rooting myself down into the ground. And I like this visualization the best because anyone who's ever worked in a garden and has ever tried to pull up a deeply rooted, like a dandelion or something like that, those bastards will not be moved. And I like that idea because when I do this, I want to feel secure. I want to feel like, you know, if a big burst of psychic intuition hits me that I'm not going to be knocked on my ass, you know? Um, So I really like this idea of roots. And then, so we take them down all the way to through the soil, through the rocks, and then into sort of the center of the earth where they wrap around there. And I really like that visualization because when we do grounding, one of the other reasons why we do it is so that we have a place to send unwanted energy that is inside of ourselves. And we send it down into the earth. And the earth is amazing at being able to recycle this energy. Um, Because the earth does great things. Like they take just a pile of cow shit and make daisies. Like, and so that's this recycling idea that if we have something nasty in us, or if something nasty comes at us, it has a place to go through us and not stay in us. And so it can go down to this fire element in the middle of the earth and be transformed because fire is, of course, our transformative element. And then we can then draw up that neutral earth energy into our bodies and use it for things like, you know, shielding, uh, spell work, all kinds of stuff, shape shifting, whatever it is that we might need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really similar to the way I do my own grounding practice. I, instead of from my feet, I go from... And I just want to reiterate something that Jay said. There's a multitude of ways to do a grounding practice. So we're not saying that the way that we do it is like the way. Mm -hmm. But I tend to look and view my spine as a tree trunk. And Mm -hmm. I also connect this to the axis mundi or to the world tree. And this is also how I do journeying or um, trance work. And moving between the lower worlds and the upper worlds, I, I go there through my spinal column. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So my spine and like my pelvic bowl area are where my roots would begin. And like you, I drop into the soil. I push through the rock. I perhaps I push through the water table and then I go into the center of the earth. And from there, I, I usually give um, deep, heartfelt gratitude for the earth supporting all life on on this planet. Mm -hmm. And then from there, drawing those forces back up into my body. Um, I do some exercises beyond that. Like I also connect with the celestial realms as Mm -hmm. well and kind of like merge the two forces back into my body. But yeah, grounding is, I think a key part of your practice because it really allows you to truly feel energy moving through your body and understand how to wield that energy because mm-hmm. it can be powerful. When I have taught students my grounding and centering practices, some folks are just wildly overwhelmed by the amount of energy that comes through. Some folks are moved to tears. Some folks just completely have a breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. And I love that you bring up uh, the idea of running energy. And and that's something that you can build on top of grounding. So kind of that's always sort of the second place that I go to, too. So once you have your, your grounding practice, where you're connecting with the below, then you once you're there, then you can also connect with the above from there. But if you do it in reverse, and you just connect with the above, then you're likely to just kind of like fly away. So that's why the roots are so important that we're not just being just taken up, like, you know, beamed up into a spaceship, you know, we are, we are solid and we are then stretching up to it more or reaching up to it more. And so when we talk about running energy, that's when, you know, you have your grounding cords, you know, your roots into the earth, and then you're calling that energy up towards the sky. And then at the same time, you're drawing that sky energy or that celestial divine energy from above down into you as well. And then they kind of both meet inside of you and swirl around and then, But if you're not grounded and you try and pull up both those energies, then the energy has nowhere to go to balance and it can be very uncomfortable. But but when you have those roots, then you have kind of an escape route or a release valve to help keep those energies balanced inside of you. And doing that is really helpful for, Mm -hmm. you know, not only flushing out our personal energy, but it's also good to improve our psychic intuition. And it's 
a great first sort of exercise in order to feel that energy moving. You know, you're talking about the intensity of the feeling. People aren't ready for it. But when it happens, like all the hair on them stands up and they're like, <gasps> like you're like, ah, welcome to witchcraft. Hello. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the raw power. The other cool thing in some ways, like it is like a grounding and centering practice. But for me, it's always been very trippy. Like it is an otherworldly experience when I do my grounding and centering. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I have noticed that when I first started out in witchcraft and began cultivating a grounding and centering practice, I found that connecting with my familiar spirits and encountering spirits came much easier. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes not to like scare anyone away. Occasionally I would even run into spirits that I was kind of like not cool with. I was just like, nice to meet you, but I'm going to move along now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Absolutely. Well, especially, you know, if you're working with like land spirits or anything like that, or like, you know, nature spirits being tapped in and grounded with the earth is kind of like getting onto their frequency a little bit. Like, Hey, we're all plugged into the same thing. And we as humans tend to sort of, naturally want to remove ourselves from the natural world like we're outside of it you know that that is over there where the forest is and we're over here where there's it's not nature you know we try and think of ourselves as different but grounding forces ourselves to then reconnect with that and humble ourselves in a way like yes i am a part of this nature thing i'm not separate i'm not superior you know we are all a part of this and then you're right. I think that sometimes a lot of times the spirits are more willing to work with us or speak with us or even too. I think just being solidly grounded makes a lot of that stuff clearer just because we're not also trying to stay in our body at the same time while we're doing it. It just frees up a lot of our ability to actually see this. So it's so important to get that, those skills done early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're wondering where to start in a witchcraft practice, that is the first place that you can start is a grounding and centering practice. Now, you had one interesting that we were talking about earlier um, about journaling. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So I know this might cause big size or some eye rolling to encourage journaling because it sounds so boring and mundane. But in short, When we keep a magical diary or journal of our practice, it gives us proof of our magical efficacy. We are then able to go back and review experiences, review gnosis, and things that we receive from spirit and have a place to reference it. It also just lets us know that we're doing the work. So yeah, that's kind of where or why I feel that journaling is really important. Absolutely. Well, and there's something interesting happening right now too, where um, Temperance, who we have had as a guest on the show, recently has started going through all of her old posts where she's made assertions about things that she believes and stuff and has been reposting them with comments about whether or not she still feels that way. And I think that is so important because number one, it shows growth, shows great growth to be like, oh, I thought this way early on, but I no longer feel that way. Um, But it also helps to normalize this idea that we may have been wrong. And that's totally fine. We have learned and grown and all of that's in the past now. You know, there's this tendency, especially in the community to always be right. And if you're not right, then, you know, you must attack. Um, And so being able to look back at these things and be like, oh, like maybe this is something that I've grown from, or this is something that I still carry with me that I feel like is important and really to see where you've come from. Yeah, for sure. You know, a couple of months ago, I went back and found my first witch blog and reread it. Oh my gosh, super cringy. I was so embarrassed <laughs> to reread it. But I realized how much my mind had changed, how much my practice had changed, how much more confident I felt in myself. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a culture that doesn't really support the kind of spiritual activity that we're talking about. And I feel that for a lot of young witches or beginner witches or even seasoned witches, like I still struggle with this. We struggle with imposter syndrome and self doubt. Mm -hmm. And that can really, really get in the way of connecting with spirit. 
And yeah. And there isn't really a definitive guidebook for us either. There's no like witch Bible being like, this is the path that you take. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So being able to like journal or even if you're not into writing, because I know like cognitively speaking, sometimes journaling and writing things down doesn't work for everyone, Mm -hmm. but finding a way to record your experiences in a way that works for you and making space to do that regularly can exponentially expand, affirm, and solidify your practice. I think that's so important because, you know, you're right, you know, being able to prove efficacy in your work because so many of us, even those of us who have been doing this our entire lives, have those moments where you're like, am I just absolutely off my rocker and just been playing make-believe for 20 years? But then if you can kind of look back at those things and go like, oh no, like I can see where this stuff has come to fruition. I cast this spell, this thing happened, you know, and then, and then you have proof in your hand because that's a question that I get a lot is like, how do I know that I'm not just crazy? <laughs> and I think a lot of us feel that way, whether we're witches or whether we're psychics or, you know, some other type of worker in the field, it's good to remind ourselves that we are okay. Have that validation. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, I am not good at journaling. I try and do it. It's, it's not, it doesn't work for me. But one thing I have really found when it comes to journaling is I have a very hard time remembering my dreams. But if I keep a dream diary then I very quickly in a matter of just a couple of days begin to recall my dreams much easier by simply just waking up and just writing them down. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you're struggling with that, I I give, I would give that a shot for dream work, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dream work and journaling go hand in hand in my opinion. And like in my own journaling practice, which I have a pretty hardcore journaling practice, I wake up about 5am and I make my coffee I snuggle with my puppy while my coffee gets made. And then when I have my cup, I sit down and I spend about an hour to an hour and a half journaling. And and it's do you do it by hand? Yes, I do journal by hand. And I usually use that time to record dreams. Dreams are like the first thing that I write down. Or if it's like an urgent dream and I happen to have my phone next to me, I will do an audio recording of the dream in the middle of the night. That's really helpful if you're if you have a hard time remembering your dreams. Yeah. But I want to credit the writer Julia Cameron. She wrote a book called The Artist's Way, and she has this practice that she encourages all artists to do. You don't have to be like a painter. You can be a writer a screenplay or screenwriter or an actor, whatever kind of art practice that you have. But she encourages folks to write three pages of stream of consciousness each and every morning and to not like pause. She calls it taking a mental cigarette break. She's like, no mental cigarette breaks. You just write it all down. And I have like woven that practice in to also using my journal as a place to record dreams. It's also where I record my divination Mm -mm. and it's also where I record, you know, earlier we spoke to the experience that I had with the beaver skull. Mm -hmm. I I wrote all that down in the same space and that works for me. I don't like to have six different journals for dreaming, for divination, for spirit recipes, et cetera. (laughs) It's good to just have one spot to reference. Absolutely. And I think that's, you bring in something interesting, especially when it comes to divination and dreams and things like that. Um, Doing this journaling will probably really help you get to know your own personal symbols. Because a lot of the times spirit will come to you and show you something and you're like, what even is that? But over time, you'll start to realize like, oh, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, So when I do my mediumship work, Um, I used to get really confused because I would be speaking to a spirit that would show up and look identical to the person I was reading. And I'm like, are are you dead? Did you die on me right here? And now you're here. Like what's happening? And it took me forever to figure out that is a spirit trying to tell me that the person I'm reading gets told a lot that they look like this person. So it's Mm. like, Oh, you look so much like your grandma, you know? So grandma will show up looking identical to them to get me to say that. 
does does grandma look identical to them? No, but it's a symbol that they that the person I'm reading for gets told a lot that they look like their mother or father or whoever it is that the spirit is showing up. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. Took me forever. There was like another one too where I was reading for someone and I'm like, they're showing me that they're like putting on a record in the living room and like dancing in the living room, you know, your your dad and your stepmom or whatever. Um, and this person's like, that never happened. And I'm like, really? Because they're showing me like a very crisp image of this happening. And they're like, no, that wasn't a thing. And then suddenly spirit is like, no, I'm trying to tell you we were happy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it, it will take you a while to figure out your symbols. And through journaling, you can keep track of it and then kind of draw those connections of, oh, this is what they were trying to say or what spirit was trying to show me, et cetera. Right. Yeah, we all have our own sacred intuitive language that works for us and doesn't work for the other person. This kind of goes back to unverified personal gnosis. Mm -hmm. Is that so for me, I have reoccurring dreams and I think I've probably spoken about this on other episodes where I get bit by snakes, by venomous snakes. And for me, that's a good sign. And then other folks, like, say, my mother, for example, if she had a dream about being bit by a snake, it would be a nightmare for her. It would be terrible. <laughs> it would be a bad sign. So sure. we're able to kind of, like, develop a language with spirit when we record our experiences. Absolutely. That's interesting, too, because you're right, it does kind of change. So for me, snakes often represent the truth. So if I'm having dreams mm -hmm. that I'm being attacked by a snake, it means I'm avoiding an unavoidable truth. But then in Mexican culture, dreaming about snakes means uh, chisme or uh, someone is gossiping about you. Oh, interesting. Uh huh. So it, there's all kinds of, you know, different ways for that. But that's interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, keeping a magical diary, if you're not doing it already, highly recommend. It's a fantastic and wonderful and connective practice. And it took me a little while to get into a flow of journaling every day. But now each morning that I wake up to do my journaling practice, it's like I'm sitting down with a really good friend and just like pouring my heart out. And not only is it good for your magical practice, it's also just great for your mental health. Yeah, I love that. I do that sometimes. Like, I'll just sit down with Mary, who is kind of, I guess, the the deity I work with the most, and just kind of be like, I got to tell you about this. Or I tell my ancestors, and they're like, bro, mm -hmm. go to therapy. And I'm like, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. we were talking about before we got onto this podcast that as Aries, we all have a tendency to overshare because that's just how we are. Oh my gosh, I can see my ancestors rolling their eyes at me right now with all my love troubles and just like my general thirstiness. <laughs> <laughs> the Aries thirst. The Aries thirst. What is, what is it that you like to say? We're either hungry or horny. There's, yeah. there's no any in between. Those are the two modes for Aries is just hungry or horny. Mm -hmm. That's how we roll. Occasionally frustrated moves in there, but you know, it's essentially those two. Um, yeah. So what else do we want to explore here in some foundational practices? Um, something that kind of goes directly with what we were just talking about, um, that I think is very important for anyone who is getting started. These, again, we're talking about things that you need to do first before doing anything else. And I know someone's going to write me an angry email because I just said that, but it's fine. Don't fight me. Um, is tapping into your intuition. And this can be done several ways. Again, we're not telling you that you have to do a specific way. This can be either through learning to um, sense energy and check in, you know, with your gut feelings, and it can be a very internal practice or being able to learn a divination skill. Because without your intuition, without psychic ability, you are flying blind in this work. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. And one thing that would be interesting to explore potentially, and this may be a difficult thing to describe and kind of discuss because this is individual for each and every one of us, but when you start doing the work of cultivating your intuition and tapping into your intuition and learning how to listen to it, it's important to understand when and when you are not having a trauma response. Oh my God. Thank you so much for saying that. 
Yes. Can you go into that a little bit more? Because that's perfect. Yeah. So it would be difficult for me to describe because I don't want to be too personal about my own traumas Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But so, for example, I've been going through a little bit. It's been good, but I've been going through kind of a bumpy ride through my love life. And I have been having to suss out what is old trauma. What is a trauma response? And usually that manifests somatically in the body where it's very visceral for me. Mm-hmm. I want to chain smoke. I want to drink a lot of coffee and I don't want to eat. And there's just like this impending sense of dread. I mean, real talk in my gut. Mm-hmm. And it's like how much of that is like a trauma response when really everything is actually just fine. And I think that that is where divination can step in and be a helpful tool. It isn't therapy and it doesn't replace a doctor. And we're not saying mm-hmm. that tarot is a replacement for professional therapists yes. at all. <laughs> but it can be a really good check-in and a way for you to suss out, okay, is this trauma? Is this like my gut really speaking to me and telling me? So it's like really check in with your gut. Mm-hmm. And feel into that, like, what is your gut truly saying? Is it a trauma response? Or is it like your intuition saying, hmm, they're a fuck boy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and for me, too, a lot of times I, I get them mixed up because uh, my personal anxiety or a trauma response to me that is so loud. Mm-hmm. And intuition, I find a lot of the time is very quiet. It's just kind of like a, hey, maybe not. As opposed to like, we're all going to die, you know, like there's so whenever I do have these like sudden visceral, like, oh, my God, you know, something terribly bad is going to happen or whatever. Then if it's really loud and really freaks me out, then I know I'm like, oh, that's that's my anxiety, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, a trauma response or something. So that's important that you're talking about that we be able to separate that. And I think something else we need to separate, too, is. People don't understand that intuition and imagination come from the same part of the brain or they Mm. come from, you know, the same place inside of us. And that's wonderful because our intuition can use our imagination as a vehicle to show us things or to make us feel certain ways or to do these things. But then people get that, get those two things mixed up and then use quote unquote intuition as a license to just make up whatever they want and call it intuition or being divinely guided or anything like that when they're actually just playing make-believe, which is something that I'm starting to see more and more of in the community of people just asserting that they are, you know, a mouse, uh, what was it? Somebody posted the other day um, that they are a mouthpiece for the oracular fates of destiny. And I'm like, Wow, are did you? the Oracle of Delphi fuck? Yeah, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? And so you've shown up on Facebook to tell us about it. Um, so sometimes, you know, we need to check in with ourselves here because yes, this world is a very strange and unusual place and all these things that we thought were make-believe before, like fairies and gnomes and all this stuff are very real. But at the same time, we need to then meet them in the reality of their situation, as opposed to simply just fly off with the fairies, so to speak. We need to really find out what they're about versus just make up what we feel like they're about, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And it does make sense. Yeah, that intuition comes in in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the daydreaming in going into the imaginal realms is really, really important. I grew up as a homeschooled kid in a really sheltered family. And my, and I was going to say my intuition, back it up. My imagination was my best friend and mm. was the way that I like escaped my like irritating and sheltered and boring and like painful childhood. Mm-hmm. But it is important, like you're saying, to be able to make a differentiation between us flying away with the fairies mm-hmm. and really being kind of like, yeah, in an airy realm that mm-hmm. doesn't sound very grounded. So kind of going back to <laughs> making sure we're grounded in our yeah. practice and that maybe when you're starting to have what you feel is an intuitive ping 
or it is trauma, or you're trying to just figure it out, maybe you pause for a moment and you dig into the earth and you get grounded and you just silence your mind and Mm. really like tune into what's coming in. And like Jay said, a lot of the time intuition, the way that it shows up for me is I feel it. I'm a very like body person. Like I experience Mm -hmm. things very somatically. So whenever I feel intuition coming in, it's always like the back of my neck. It kind of like, and they say that that is actually where spirit we're talking um, like about possession mm-hmm. in certain traditions. Like that is where possession in a good way. Yeah. We want to be possessed <laughs> is what I'm talking about. <laughs> spirit enters in at the back of the neck. And that mm-hmm. is like a really sensitive area on myself. And I think for like folks who do practice spiritual work or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, th- I think that that is important. And you're, you're right. A lot of the time that is where spirit will come in contact with us. You know, even in the bad possessions, too, if you get a spirit attachment, you know, it's either going to be there. It's going to be like um, down in between your shoulder blades a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. I've only come across one that was connected into the lower spine. Um, But also that that then makes me wonder because I'm pretty sure this is all the matrix anyway. So I'm like, I'm wondering if that's just where our plugins are. (laughs) And we don't like and we don't we don't know it yet. Uh, Right. Yeah. Whenever I smoke myself. And do a spiritual cleansing with smoke or with oils. Like that's one of the areas that I put a lot of attention is around the back of my neck and my shoulders and whatnot and my armpits. Yeah. I do a lot of armpit work. (laughs) Cleanse it out right in there. Get up in it. No demons in the armpits. Mm -mm. No demons in these armpits. Not today's Satan. Now, you were telling me about something really interesting earlier. One of the other things that we have on the list here for foundational skills is learning how to direct energy and then enchant things. So once we are able to first perceive energy, um, then we are able to direct it. So again, this is one of those things where we had to put the cart behind the horse, right? We had to first perceive it before we're able to actually grab a hold of it and do something with it. Um, which brought us to enchanting, which is sort of magically charging and programming uh, mundane objects for magical purpose. And you had an interesting method of going about that that I really Mm -hmm. love. Can you tell people? Yes, I would love to share about it because it is so easy to do. So let's say you have a ring or you have a necklace or an object and you want to enchant it. Let's use an example um, here, at, like for protection. So if you want to do some protection work and you want to wear a ring that's going to kind of deflect energies and whatnot and just keep you well protected, you take your ring and you would pray over it and you can anoint it with a protection oil or, you know, maybe use Florida water or something of, of that, like, like some, something that's kind of like cleansing and or protecting. Like a tincture of protective herbs or something. Or Yeah, you could put herbs around it that work for you in protection. And then you take a bowl or a cup. And I like it to be opaque. I don't like it to be um, clear. And you place that over the ring or we're using a ring as an example here. And then you anoint a candle with protection oil and you put that on top and you burn it down the candle and then you have kind of enchanted and or charged up this ring to its purpose so it knows what it's about and knows what it's doing and then after that's done that's when i really like to apply the protection oil just to kind of like seal it up and make sure it's like affirmed in its purpose i love that and i like that you're using an opaque bowl too because everything these days is like glass or whatever but also when when we're working with candles on glass, a lot of times this glassware is not meant to stand up to that. So if you're burning your candle all the way down and it, there's no barrier between the bowl and it, you're likely to split your bowl, um, especially things like Pyrex. So there's a terrible story in my family. When my mom was doing a dinner party and she had pulled a lasagna out of the oven and it was in this big Pyrex casserole dish and she wanted to keep it kind of warm while people were eating. So everybody you know, got some of their lasagna. So she set it on the burners on the stovetop on low. 
and we're all mm-hmm. sitting there just like eating and suddenly there's like this giant explosion sound from the kitchen this pyrex casserole dish just shattered in a million different pieces there was glass all over our kitchen <laughs> so when if you're using something like stoneware or ceramic or something like that that's going to be a whole lot more safe than just mystery glass like if you have like a um, mason jar or something like that those tend to be pretty heat solid except for the one yesterday i was making uh, oat straw infusion yesterday and poured in my hot water into it and the whole thing split like it split all the way around the bottom so then you pick it up the whole thing just goes Yep, I've had that happen. Occasionally, you just get a dud of a mason jar. I had that happen recently. (laughs) It's kind of comical. I like poured in the hot water and I lifted it up and the entire bottom just like came off in a very like clean cut. And it was just like, nope, no more tea. Yep, that's what happened to me. I'm like, damn, like I'm like a full ounce of oat straw just went down the drain. (laughs) I'm like, terrible. But, you know, thrift stores are a really great place to go seeking for a nice little heat proof, opaque a container. Mm-hmm. I love thrift stores for magical. Yes. Work. It doesn't have to be fancy and expensive, y'all. It doesn't. Budget brujeria. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I love that. I love that. But yeah, so in, in kind of that vein, one of the foundational skills we're talking about here is being able to, you know, direct energy. So once you can perceive the energy then you can direct it. And then from there, the world tends to be your oyster as far as that particular technique of witchcraft is concerned. So this is why we're talking about, you know, when when you have the foundational skills, then the rest of it sort of falls into place later. There's one last one that I want to talk about, which uh, I feel is really important, which is being able to meet spirits, particularly nature spirits. Um, these are your plants, trees, um, rocks, rivers, wishing wells, all kinds of things. Because people don't realize, b- people get very caught up in like, oh, well, I have all these dried herbs and I throw this herb in and that herb in and blah, 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 blah. And then it makes magic versus knowing the spirits in those. And people don't realize that you don't just need like the dried herb thrown into your bell in order to make your spell work. You can go to that bush, like say, say you're working with rue. You can either add it into your spell or you can go to the rue plant and make a deal with it. Be like, hey, you do this thing for me and I will do this for you. Like, you know, I've planted you out front of my house, protect me from, you know, evil witchcraft and I will water you every Sunday. And then you can make a deal with this plant and it has nothing to do with cutting it and drying it and putting it on a candle, actually actively speaking with and working with these spirits outside of that. And then they'll tell you things, you know, kind of like your beaver story. They'll tell you, you're like, I will help you in this way. And Mm -hmm. then you don't need a reference book that tells you what the plant is good for. The plant will tell you. So being able to meet these spirits um, and the same thing goes for a river. You can go to a river and be like, I will clean up trash around you if you do this thing for me. And they will. People Mm -hmm. don't realize that. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing too, that I think is important to kind of speak to is that when you do make contact with these spirits, it is enables you to be connected to other spirits. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I now with the beaver that I have been working with, I now have plants associated with the work with beaver. I hope that that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like if um, here's a great example, um, elder. Elder is actually a tree that I've currently been spending a lot of time with and writing about. And elder is considered, and I'm speaking about elderberry, is considered to be a gateway or a gatekeeper plant that then opens you up to other plants and can teach you about them or connect you with them. So that's something to consider when working with spirit is that like with your rue plant, for example, they could potentially give a person a recipe that involves rue, but also that involves other plants. And then you find like a synergy that then works with rue. And that's Mm -hmm. like, your own special personal recipe. And it's just so much fun. Exactly. And then that's going to have very special power and very special meaning for you because of the way that it was given to you personally by the plant. And then the plant has already agreed to work with you in this way. I think that's important. You're talking about that, you know, one spirit might lead you to another. So 
Well, in kind of in that realm too, these things can also be like mediators. So if you're working with like, say like an animal skull, like a beaver or a lot of time cats or whatever, you know, you can ask them to go out and be like, can you go out and find me X, Y, or Z? Or can you go and get this message to a different spirit? They can kind of create a bridge. So if you're very comfortable with like maybe a cat spirit, but you're like, I don't know which of the trees in the park you know, want to work with me, you know, can you go find out or ask or whatever, you know, you can go ask yourself, of course, but you can create um, kind of this mediation thing in between. Now, also, let's, let's just get ourselves canceled real quick. Um, I love the, uh, the that you brought up too that certain plants or certain spirits around us can be the forbidden G word, gatekeepers. Oh, it's yeah. true. People don't realize that even spirits gatekeep because it's important to do so in certain circumstances. That's what the spirit at the crossroads is. They are a gatekeeper that is there to protect that doorway. That is what the goddess Akate is all about, is about closing and opening doors. She is a gatekeeper. So when we tell everybody that gatekeeping is evil, then you, you, you're you missing the point that not only has gatekeeping been a foundational part of the craft in a cultural aspect, but also spirits themselves will gatekeep. And that is important because without them, then these giant portals would just be open in our world and we'd be real screwed. So, so oh gatekeeping is not always evil. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, it's for your own damn good. Yeah, it is for your own damn good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Working with Elderberry lately has been addressing a lot of like grief and sorrow for me and allowing myself to like feel those feelings, especially during this time. Like it's winter, we're in COVID times, like crazy COVID times and just things going on in my personal life. Elder is creating this like contained space for me to explore those things in simultaneously connecting me with other plants but they were a, they are a plant that I have been cultivating a relationship with since I moved to eastern Oregon about a, almost two years ago so this has been a long game this all, all I also want to just say here real quick all of what we have been talking about in this episode is like long game stuff yes it doesn't happen overnight Absolutely. Absolutely. And see, that's the thing, too, is that people think like, okay, I'm gonna sit down with this bush, I'm gonna meditate for five minutes. And now I know the spirit versus seeing this plant through all of its seasons, seeing what it looks like when it blooms, you know, what it goes through in the winter, all these things are going to be getting you to know this plant spirit. And people don't like that part. They just want to sit down for five minutes and get to know the spirit. But, you know, this work is lifelong work. This is something that we're doing long game, like you're saying, that is so important. So I think that's something that we really need to sit back and be patient and realize that these foundational skills don't just vanish when we are past them, right? Or, or when we feel like we no longer need them, you will always need them. You will always need to carry these foundational skills forward into your craft because without them, then everything else starts to fall apart. Yes, you have to have those four corners to find stability and something to stand on. And when you're starting to explore witchcraft, you are in some ways playing with madness. Absolutely. So it is very important to have anchors and guiding lights and waypoints Mm -hmm. for you to reorient yourself and kind of come back into the earth. And I think being able to come back into your body back into like earth-centered consciousness and heart-centered consciousness can do a lot to keep you stable and steady on a very crooked and like tumultuous path because that is witchcraft y'all absolutely i agree amen amen all right y'all i think this is it for us today for this episode i hope y'all learned a thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fun exploring these foundational practices with you today. All right, y'all. Well, stay awesome. Make sure to continue listening and get in touch with us. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, 
please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.